Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter two. I've called this morning's message, the gifts, singular, the gift of God. Ephesians, where Tim read for us earlier, chapter one, and we're gonna look at the first 10 verses this week and the rest of the chapter next week. And just to refresh your memory a little bit, I'm gonna put up maybe five or six pictures that you've already seen. I'm only gonna leave them on the screen for five seconds, tell you what it is. But as we get into the study, let me make this comment first of all. The first of the seven churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation is the church of Ephesus. And they got a lot of good things going to them. There were more Gentiles in Ephesus than there were the the Jewish people themselves. But what he has against them is that he says, you have left your first love. He doesn't say you've lost it. He says they left it. And we're gonna talk about what Paul's trying to get their attention focused back on because of this. But let's just take you through, um, I've been to Ephesus uh, several times. So this right here is some grass. <laughs> That's an amphitheater holds 25,000 people, been in there. Uh, this is a temple to Diana of the Ephesians. It's one of the, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, this picture here is a, a modern-day picture looking into the city from Oh, a mile or so away. Um, this here would have been the library in uh, Ephesus. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is Paul explaining God's nature and the character of Jesus. There's a reason he has to do this. Um, they are baby Christians. And so in chapters one, two, and three, Ephesus is a city of wealth and prosperity. And now Paul is writing to them to teach them that their true riches are really in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they're very wealthy. Um, When it talks about wealth in the scripture, it says you can't serve God and mammon or money at the same time. It says we're to warn those that are rich. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's warning them. Don't put your trust and your faith in your wealth. Um, It will perish. Can't take it with you. And and there were very many wealthy people uh, in Ephesus. Um, Now Paul's writing to them to teach them that their true riches is really with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Here, um, uh, let me use the example of uh, the baptism. And for those of you who missed it, it was a blessing. Amen? For those that you were there, you weren't there? (laughs) Let me just tell you, it was really a blessing. And uh, we... Once you got in the water, it was cold, but it didn't last too long. But the picture um, really is what the Bible study is about this morning. 
It's a picture of, baptism is a picture of going down in the water symbolizing death and then coming back out of the water the same way that Jesus did at the resurrection. And old things passing away and all things are becoming new. That's what Paul is trying to do in this letter to the Ephesians. He's saying, look, those things are past. They're gone. They're fading. And where your real riches are, are in this new life in Jesus. And um, we, we sang the song Justified this morning, one of my favorite songs. Uh, justification is different than sanctification. The Bible study this morning is gonna be on sanctification and discipleship. But as long as they sang the song Justified, the difference between the two is when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, the work is done. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God which is in Christ Jesus. He took my sin and I get his righteousness and as I stand before you this morning, you're justified, just as though you never sinned. And uh, when we read Psalm 139, his thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea. He's in love with his bride. And he's laying that out, and that's symbolized when a person is baptized, the old is passing away, and now we're to walk in this new walk of um, um, being born, born again. Well, the thing about being born again is you don't come out being born as a solid, mature Christian who's been through everything, and you can say to yourself, been through that a dozen times, but the first time you go through it, man, it's really a burden, and you say to yourself, is this what I signed up for? I thought life was supposed to be walking with Jesus as a walk in the park. No. <laughs> It's a walk and fighting against the dark is what it is. And um, I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 at this point. Um, before we read our, yeah, before we read it, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, um, I want to look at the first three verses. And... Verse one says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking as newborn babes. He's talking to baby Christians. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Well, when a baby's born, what do you give them? Either mother's milk or a bottle or something like that. Why? Because they can't handle T-bone steaks. They don't have their, their gums and chores in yet. So as a newborn babe, when you come to Christ, um, Peter here is saying, desire the pure milk of the word that you can grow. Now the growing process is what we call sanctification. It's a process that takes place over time. And... Um, there's a lot of growing on that needs to be done from the time that you stop drinking milk until you're eating quarter pounders with cheese or something like that. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So here, um, Peter clearly addresses that baby Christians uh, grow by being fed the milk of what? The word. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. The only way that you can grow out of being a baby Christian is by being in the word of God. Good place for an amen. Okay, so we got that one down. Um, How? Well, it's not only called the sanctification process or being sanctified, which is that ongoing work of going through trials, going to Bible studies, growing a little bit here, growing a little bit there, and you're maturing. And we call that, I call it, being discipled, okay? Discipleship, when a person gets saved, they need to be discipled. The disciples is where we get the word um, discipled from. Um, They spent three years with Jesus day and night. What was he doing? He was teaching them. He was discipling them for three years. He didn't send them out until after they were discipled. And that's where we get our word um, being, being discipled or disciplined. The way Pastor Chuck did it before, especially in the early days when the Calvary chapels that were being sent out, uh, we didn't have regional leaders or world leaders over certain sections. But Chuck would send them out, but under one condition. You had to sit under Pastor Chuck's teaching for three years and be there all the time and let him know that you, have, you feel you have a call of ministry. And he'd say, okay, you have to sit here every Sunday and Wednesday and so on and so forth. And um, through that process, you will learn um, the discipleship period and then I'll send you out as an ordained pastor. And then it grew and grew and grew, and there was a necessity for regional leaders, and, and now there's about 2,000 of us around the world that have area overseers, so it's not done quite that way, but we follow the same pattern. We have what we call the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Paul is discipling them through this letter to them. Um, Let's go to verses one through three back in Ephesians. Chapter two says, and we'll read the first three verses here. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Can I get a little sidetracked here and make it personal? We're talking about the prince and the power of the air and the God of this world. Do you know, do you know why you're watching evil growing and continuing and getting worse and worse and worse? It's because there is a God of this world Uh, And Jesus did not challenge Satan when he said, if you'll go down and worship me, I'll give it to you all to you. Well, 
the Lord didn't say, "Uh uh-uh, I made it, it's mine. He acknowledged that he was, inherited it from Adam and Eve, who it was given to when they sinned. And they capitulated to his uh, schemes, denying the word of God. As God said, you will die, you won't die. And they fell into it, and as a result, forfeited it. And through one man's sin, sin entered the world, but then it goes on to say through one man's righteous death, all can be made righteous, all through one man. So we read here, what's going on in the world right now is that the prince of the power of the air and evil. Gang, you need to know that he hates you. You need to know that he wants you dead. And he has absolutely no concern or feelings towards killing people, um, killing babies in the womb, legislation out now for killing babies up to a couple weeks out of the womb. That's evil, my friends. And um, don't get me sidetracked there, but what we see here, the world and people who don't know the Lord, I don't know how they're handling all this stuff. Uh, the, The pressures that come on the things that they hear daily, and uh, actually witnessing pure evil. The spirits now work in the sons of disobedience. A lot of people in our government, a lot of people in NATO. But, um, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind that were nature, children of wrath, just as the others. So these first three verses are about our old life. We loved ourself. We lived for self-gratification. And now, you get saved. I'll tell you a little bit of my, my story when I got saved. Um, I got saved watching Billy Graham in my parents' bedroom. And um, I know I was saved because the Lord came down upon me and um, um, he talked about being born again and um, like he does, he says, if you believe the message, uh, pray with me this prayer and I did and I was a different person. I fell in love with Jesus. Went to church my whole life, didn't know the Lord at all. I haven't got one of those. Do you guys get, get pins when you go to Sunday school? <laughs> I used to get them. If you had a good track record, then you got a, a nice little pin that shows you you were in Sunday school. And um, so basically what happened is I love downhill skiing and I love Jesus at the same time. So I was now graduated from high school, free spirit, child of the wind, Got my skis, got my backpack, hitched out to Aspen, Colorado, and that's where I stayed for the next two years. No church, no fellowship, no discipleship, but I love Jesus. And I didn't, there's more to it than that. I, I didn't know. After two years, I came back to Wisconsin. And... Um, there's no big ski hills here except Garbage Hill by my high school. 
And for the record, I was the second one to climb it on my Honda. I wasn't the first. I mean, a bunch of us guys would go there and we'd just look at it. And we were, everybody was thinking, who's going to be the first guy who does it? Well, one day, some guy comes out of the crowd, and he went right to the top and right over. And I thought, if he can do it, I can do it. So I took second place. <laughs> he took first. You guys don't have a clue what I'm talking about, about Garbage Hill, do you? Anybody from Oshkosh knows who, what the Garbage Hill is. It's where, you know, they pile up all the garbage and it becomes a big hill. <laughs> and there was one side that was steep. Boy, that's certainly not in my notes. <laughs> but anyway, I came back and um, couldn't ski as, uh, unless you went up the door up, up or the UP or something. And believe me, once you've skied out west, you're spoiled and the UP isn't very interesting. And um, I got involved with a balanced, good assembly God of church. I wasn't there long. I lived with the assistant pastor. But I was, um, um, some of you old timers here remember Carol Bittner, the senator? Some of you are shaking your heads. You have to be a little bit older. But we headed up the youth group. So it was me and Carol, and she was bringing these songs back from California. And um, she would play a couple of them, and boy, did I like them, because they weren't, they weren't anything like the hymns, but they were so beautiful. And um, long story short there, I got involved with a well-balanced Assembly of God church until I ran into people that were sent out from the Jesus movement that ended up in Oshkosh. It was a communal house. They were there for one reason, one reason only, to take in people, give them a place to sleep, give them a meal, and we had one condition. They had to stick around for the seven o'clock Bible study. And from 1968 to 1978, I've said this before, and it's recorded, matter of fact, there's a whole book written on it, 100,000 people got saved because of these houses. We had them in every state. So the reason I'm bringing this up is I was not discipled in Aspen, Colorado. I was a ski bum. Uh, worked construction. Two kinds of people in Aspen. Ski bums and millionaires. Guess which one I was? <laughs> no, I worked construction. And my boss dated Jill St. John. And again, she's older, so a lot of you wouldn't know her, but some of you old people like Dick Bloomer over here, he, he knows, he's, 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 he's shaking his head, he knows what I'm talking about. How about that, Dick, two weeks in a row? Your wife is laughing at you. <laughs> um, so my point is this, I was not, I was on milk, I was in love with Jesus, but I didn't go to church, I didn't fellowship, I wasn't in the word, and uh, until I got back, and this is all these people did. Um, the pastor was so wise. He was an all-American basketball player. And um, I was the only guy in church without a suit on and a tie. I was the only guy in church that had a beard and long hair. 
and he would go out of his way and he says, you know, the love of God is so great that he could love a guy like Dwight sitting next to Mr. Jones who's one of the richest guys in town and he says, and God loves them both the same way. And he went out of his way. He even tried to be cool, saying things like, I can dig that. And he, he was so uncool coming from him. Pete Cochelle was his name. And um, a marvelous athlete and a very, very godly man. And he was no respecter of persons. He didn't care what you looked like. Uh, his only concern is that you get to know Jesus. Well, that was the beginning of my discipleship. And then I started reading scriptures that no man can be that my disciple unless he denies himself, pick up his cross and follow me and um, leave it all behind. Well, I didn't see any churches doing that. But I saw these Shiloh houses that Pastor Chuck sent John Higgins who was just here for the conference. I'll start the first one. And then we had them all over the country. I learned discipleship in Shiloh. I had no work ethic at all, except for ski. (laughs) And I learned how to work because we would work as a group all day long. I never eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches anymore (laughs) because every day for lunch, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I don't want to see another peanut butter and jelly sandwich again as long as I live. But we got by and we were learning to live a simple life and we would go street witnessing every single day and tell people about Jesus. I was being discipled. I was being taught work ethics. I was being taught the word of God. From being a baby, uh, going through this process, I was becoming discipled. And after, we were talking about this immense prayer about, um, I think I mentioned it last week, a guy being a little bit too hard on himself because he, he figures he's not being an evangelist as much as he should be. And um, I think I interrupted him and I said, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Because my Bible says, when you're born again, Remain in the calling wherein you were called. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you get born again and you're working at the gas station, don't stop working at the gas station unless (laughs) there's a calling on your life. Well, um, after a period of time just being discipled, the Lord literally called me into ministry. And when people... Today, come and talk to me about, I feel like I'm being called into ministry. I only tell them one thing. And that is, the Bible says, make sure your calling and election is sure. And then I explain why I tell them that. Because if, you're, if you go out and you just want to do it because you feel you want to be called, you're going to go through trials. Being in ministry or just being a Christian, there are trials. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? All right, so now, you, now you're in ministry, but your calling and election isn't sure. And you go through a really good burner, really good trial. And you start to think to myself, hmm, maybe I wasn't called in the first place. And you have second doubts about things. 
But if your calling and election is sure, then it doesn't matter what you go through because I'm called. I'm going through the same fiery trial, but it doesn't make any difference. God called me to do it. I'll go through my trial and just keep right on going. So I explained this to young guys that are being called into the ministry. Just one thing, make sure the Lord has called you and you'll be fine because he'll take care of it from there. All right. Um, This is what Paul is explaining in verses one through three. You don't, uh, it's a process uh, that we call sanctification. Um, A good way to describe sanctification is you don't build a house in a day, do you? You lay a foundation, and you will put up the walls, and you put on a drywall, and then put on the shingles and roofs, and you don't do that in a day. It's a process, and it takes time. It's the same way with a Christian walk going from milk to meat. And um, of course, we would want it just like that. I don't want to be a baby. I, wanna, I want the T-bone sticks right away. Sorry, doesn't work that way. So all of us are in different areas of growth in that area where the baby Christian is in milk. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, chapter five, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter five, picking it up in verse 12. He's chiding these Hebrews because they've been in the Lord now for quite a while. And this is what he says to them. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What does that mean? He doesn't know his Bible enough to pass it on to somebody else. He's, they're still in the milk. They're still in the ABCs. Is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now you can be in the Lord for 25 years and still be a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, exercising your spiritual gifts, we'll be talking about that shortly, to discern both good and evil. Now chapter six, therefore. Therefore what? Well, guys, you're supposed to be teachers by now, not talking about the elementary principles. And you're not. You're, just, you're still on the milk, and you should be in the meat. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to perfection. I would put the word sanctifying or being disciplined in there and not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Well, what's the first thing that you talk about when a person becomes a Christian? You need to repent (laughs) of your old life, the first three verses. Repent from your dead works and then have faith towards God. The doctrine of baptism, well, that's the first thing you do. First thing Jesus asks you to do after you believe is to be baptized. And notice here, and the laying on of hands. In our Bible study for the baptism, I went out of my way 
to show that there's two baptisms. There's a baptism in water, and there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I use the example of Philip, who preached the gospel, people got saved, and they got baptized. But they didn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They had to send for Peter and John in Jerusalem. Peter and John come up, and they lay hands on those who are already baptized, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Two different experiences. And the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. I mean, you have the whole Christian outline right there before you from the time you get saved until judgment day. You were born here, a dash here, and you died here. I prefer born here, dash here, raptured here. (laughs) That's my first choice. Now, let's go back to Ephesians and look at four through eight. Remember what he's trying to accomplish. He's saying, look, guys, you were dead once. Now you're alive. And um, I want you to mature. So now he begins to, what's a good word? Woo them, get them to see just how much God really loves you. Sometimes we wonder, how could God ever love me? Paul thought that. Oh, wretched man that I am. The things I should be doing, I'm not doing. The things I shouldn't be doing, that's what I'm doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who's gonna deliver me from this bondage that I go through every day having this fight? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ that I was justified. And if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, another good place for an amen. Walking clean all the time, justified, while we're being sanctified, being discipled. This new condition begins in verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loves us. God loves us? Yeah, loves you very, very much. Even when we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that... In the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is the title of uh, this this morning. Um, The gift in verse eight, for you have been saved by grace through faith, then that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. So we're saved by grace through faith, and then he said, it's a gift. Anybody ever give you a gift before? Um, when somebody gives you a gift, what do you do? Usually, usually you just say, thank you, and you have an attitude of gratitude. Wow, wasn't expecting that. But if, if you get the gift, And uh, we have a saying about justice and grace. What is grace? Well, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Justice is getting what we do deserve. 
If you get pulled over for speeding, for going over the speed limit, and you get a ticket, and um, you were going this fast, uh, here's the fine. That's justice. Um, grace is getting what we don't deserve, or what, because the Lord took it upon Himself. So if somebody gives you a gift and you say, "Well, thanks a lot, man. I'm, I'm going to go over and cut your grass for you," all of a sudden. It doesn't become a gift anymore because you've done a work to do what he's given, he wanted to give it to you free, but now you're wanting to work for it. And uh, for that, I would like you to turn to me to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans 11. And we're looking at 1 verse 6. Let's talk about grace versus works. For if by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it is no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. Nine out of ten people, ask them, are you going to heaven? I think so. Why? Well, you know, I'm a pretty nice guy. Better than Tom. <laughs> then I pick on you last time, Tom. I think I did. I got to find somebody else. You shouldn't sit so close. <laughs> but I'm not as good as Ed, so let's put it that way. <laughs> That's why Ed is sitting up closer. He's hoping he would get, get that. You, you, you see the contrast here? It's one or the other game. You're either going to, when you ask people, they'll say, well, because I'm a nice guy. And I'm not as bad as that guy, and I'm not as good as this guy. And they're predicating them going to heaven by something they do. And the question is, well, how, how, how many uh, good things and how many people do you have to do that for? Five? Well, is that enough to get you to heaven? Ten? What, what number are we talking about here? And um, so the gospel is clear and that it is a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn it or deserve it. If you, I always like to use the expression, if I am any part of the equation of my salvation, I'm not gonna make it. I'm out. I either accept the free gift as God has given it to me, and I should, in response, fulfill the only commandment that he ever gave, the greatest one which is, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. Well, I can love somebody who lays down his life for me. Greater love has no man than this. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. And so what it produces, this attitude of gratitude, is realizing it's free. You're just gonna do it for me? Well, that moves me. And now that is exactly what Paul is trying to get across to the Ephesians. They're very um, uh, wealthy. Um, They put their trust not in the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, but on their own strength, their own provisions. 
And to keep this Bible study in context, remember the first three chapters, what he's trying to accomplish. Getting their mind off the world, you were once dead, and blah, 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 but let me tell you about the real riches. And he's trying to get this cross to the church in Ephesus. If by grace, grace. If by works, works. But you can't have both. It's one or the other. But here's the thing, gang. Most people think it is by being nice, being a nice guy. Hate to tell you this, you're not nice guys. Girls, that includes you too. <laughs> in me dwells no righteousness. Well, I don't like hearing that. There's gotta be some good in there somewhere. Nope, nope. The heart is deceitfully wicked. What do you mean, I got a good heart? No, you don't. <laughs> My heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. It deceives you by thinking you're good. Before you're saved, you might be doing good things, but what's the motive behind what you're doing? Judgment day, and even the judgment seat of Christ, uh, and the works that are done, uh, when it says both good and bad at the judgment seat of Christ, what do you mean bad? I thought all my sins were forgiven. Yeah, but some of the things that you did that were good were done with the wrong motive. Not good. You were taking the glory for yourself. And that's what, if you go back to Galatians 2 again, that's exactly what it's gonna tell us. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians 2, and verses nine and 10, and it says, not of works lest anyone should boast. The whole idea and motive um, that we accept the free gift of grace and not works. Why? Because if it's um, a work that you do, then you can boast about it. I always like to use the example of um, people getting TV cameras when they're getting ready to donate a $5,000 check to some charity and the, the check is five feet long and four feet tall. <laughs> And this check is being given by and your name is there. Well, Jesus said, you have your reward. You're not gonna get one in heaven for what you just did here because you got your reward there by drawing the attention to yourself. That's what Paul tells us here in verse nine, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Created it in Christ Jesus, what for? For good works. Well, Dwight, you just said, it's not my works which God prepared before that we should walk in them. I'm confused, you just said it's not about good works. What, one of the things that tells us about our Lord Jesus, what he did, it says he went around doing good. Wouldn't you like to have that be said about you? He went around doing good. Well, let's see the balance in this. Now, even though works can't save us because of this gift of grace, he does want us to pass it on. He does want us to pass it on. Turn with me to the book of James chapter two. We'll be coming back to this. Because you're saved, picking it up in verse 14, 
What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? This is not a contradiction. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, um, but you did not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Well, every day we're hearing things, um, and this is not being boastful. It's a result of God being good to us because God has blessed us here in America. But things are literally falling apart in Haiti. In my recent contacts with, with Bastia, he did get home, sent me a picture of him and his family. Yes, he had to grease some palms to get there. Do you follow me when I say grease, grease palms? He had to, he had to uh, um, grease the palms at four different roadblocks because all they were there. But he had a friend. He says, go talk to him ahead of time. Say, what's it going to take? And it takes a certain amount of, of uh, Haitian money. And uh, once that was all cleared out, the guy went out, picked Bastia up, took him back to, to his house. But these days, people can't afford to do that because the fuel prices are so expensive. So we found out, I said, what are the needs now? And um, they're running low on the beans. So um, because of your generosity, and I'm not going to mention anybody's names, because uh, you will lose your reward if I tell who you are. And believe me, you'll thank me later for that. But people gave money, a lot of money, to buy beans. And that is, um, that makes up their diet. Rice, beans, and a special oil. And on special occasions, they'll buy a cow. Never saw a cow butchered right in front of me, but the Haitians really know how to do it good. (laughs) And they put meat in with this. Now that's a very special occasion when you have something like that. Um, but all that to say this, here um, we're actually told as a result of the free gift, we should be motivated to pass it on to other people, especially the gospel. Um, instead of saying to them, oh, depart in peace, be warm and filled, and you got the beans. I mean, you got the beans to help out, but instead you say, well, I'll pray for you, okay? See you later but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the devils believe and tremble. Some people say, oh, I just don't believe in God. I say, the devils do, and they know who he is, and they tremble because they know who he is. But what do you know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he uses the Old Testament picture, I'm not gonna go there, but you know the story, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. 
The Lord said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him on the hills of Moriah, a place I will show you. And he was obedient. It was of faith working because he had made Abraham a promise. It was through Isaac that he's gonna bless the whole world. And if he's gonna have to kill Isaac, that means that God's gotta bring him back from the dead because God can't lie and he promised it was gonna be through Isaac. Is everybody with me? So he does it. And he, he, here, James is using it as an example. Oh, you say you have faith, do you? Well, then prove it by works. Make sure the Lord is telling you what to do. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and now he's quoting a prophecy, Abraham believed God, and he was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Wow. To be called the friend of God. Who's your best friend? God. (laughs) Who's your husband? Well, the marriage hasn't taken place yet, but we're engaged and... uh, Jesus is gonna be my husband forever and ever and ever and ever. And to be called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was also Rahab the harlot who lived in Jericho justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without work is dead also. So it is not a contradiction, but um, um, the two ways of looking at works so that you would boast in doing them rather than the charge that James gives us because you are saved. There's a mandate that prove it, just like Abraham proved it. All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Doing good here. First Corinthians chapter 12. I'm gonna start in closing. Notice I use the word start. I'm gonna start in closing. Um, about the importance of using your spiritual gifts. And I wanna make a contrast between a believer and a born again believer before we read this chapter. When you're born again, and when we baptize people Last week, we prayed uh, not only that they would be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but we also laid hands on them, and if they had not already received the Holy Spirit, we pray specifically that God would give the Holy Spirit to them and a gift in particular that only God can give. Some of the people, I'm sure, were already baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure some were not. So we laid hands on them and prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, that's what chapter 12 is about. So let's go through it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know how many people in the churches today around the world are ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? A whole lot of them. You know that you were Gentiles carried away with dumb idols. However, you were 
led. Therefore, I make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a diversity of gifts, it's plural, but the same Spirit. There are diversity, differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now this is important, that we understand why God gives the Holy Spirit. Here it tells us it's for the profit of all. And to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit, to another faith, the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another a discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things and distributes to each one individually as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit is manifested in different gifts and he is the one who determines what gift he gives to you. You don't go and say, I want this gift. Well, the Holy Spirit is one who decides what gift you're going to have. And then he goes on to explain, and this is important for all of us here, because, um, well, let's just read it. For as the body is one and has many members, but the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and have all been made uh, to drink into one spirit. Then he uses the analogy of the human body. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. I'm sure the big toe is thinking, I'd rather be a right eye than a big toe. (laughs) And um, we shouldn't say that. Uh, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is is it therefore not part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? If we were all an eye, that's not much of a body. We want the rest of it. But when indeed there are many members, yet still one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I don't need you. No, much rather those members which seem to be weaker are necessary And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our present parts have no need, but God 
compose the body, having given greater honor to that part which seems to be lacking. That there should be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individual. Are you following this? Everybody here that's been born again and God has given you spirits, you need to know that, well, mine's not that important. But Paul is saying here is the ones that seem least important in reality are ones that are more important. And that everybody here has a gift for a purpose. And the purpose is... um, Well, verse 12 of chapter 14 says, even so, if you're zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. In other words, the gift that God gave you, he gave to you so you can build somebody up in their faith because of the gift that you have. And it's an absolute necessity. We go down and it talks about... um, uh, the rest of this chapter, verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church first apostles. I do not believe there are apostles today. You had to be called by the Lord personally to be an apostle. Uh, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, the gift of healings, helps, administration, variety of gifts. Are all, let's just stop there. Um, we, just, we just had a conference. And... Um, one of the most important gifts being in operation during our conference was the gift of helps. Because nobody had any idea in our body all the help that we needed. Whether it's security, whether it's the guys in the sound room, whether it's um, Thomas back in that room, or the people that were doing the cleaning. I won't put them on the spot this morning. I thought of a couple people in particular, and I saw them this morning, and I said, I'm going to be talking about you today. And they went on, and they, I think they got worried. <laughs> and I said, no, because I'm going to be talking about the gift of helps. And you two in particular were nonstop. I mean, from morning till night, here first, leaving last, and nonstop. And so we consider, well, I just have the gift of helps. No, extremely important part for the body to be edified through the conference. Getting calls from all over the world. Uh, well, I think Thomas told, told us we had over 5,000 people watching us worldwide uh, through the conference. Well, you gotta have a tape room um, and people working behind it to pull that off. And the sound room and the worship team, the ushers, the security, and it just goes on and on. Know that you're important and know with one exception that God gave you that gift so that you can build up somebody else. Good place for an amen. One exception. There's one exception to what I just said. And that is in chapter 14, verse four, it says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies, prophesizes, edifies the church. 
So there is one gift that is especially put aside where you're alone with the Lord. And I like to put it this way. Sometimes words fall short of trying to express the way you feel about what God has done for you. There are no words. So God gives you my idea of the gift of tongues is a prayer language expressing things that are in my spirit that I can't come out with human words. And it's a way of saying um, thank you in a much deeper way. And it edifies me. And I'm able, uh, Paul said he prayed in the spirit all the time. All right. um, Chapter 14, uh, no, James 5 will be the last place we'll turn to this morning. James chapter 5. We started out with all this heavy stuff that's going on in the world today. So I thought I'd end it with some, a different way of looking at all that's happening. What we're to be doing in the meantime is what? Press on, occupy till he comes. And now we read in James 5, picking it up in verse 7, we have a therefore. Therefore what? This world is going down. It's going to be taken over someday soon by the Antichrist. We will not be here. But yet, how much bad stuff are we going to see before he comes? We don't know. So we have a therefore. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Oh, it says here, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. No, I won't read it again. I think you got it. Jesus is coming soon. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Think of Jeremiah. One message. Everybody hated him for it. They loved the false prophets. Hey, everything's gonna be fine. They hated Jeremiah. I know you guys are going to go into captivity for 70 years. That has to do with with, um, the reason for um, um, uh, the, the jubilee. They didn't let the land rest when they should have during that period of time. And so that's why they were taken to there. Indeed, Jeremiah would be one for an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, We count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord was very compassionate upon him. What does that mean? Well, he lost it all. He lost seven sons and three daughters. Um, His best friends turned on him and said, obviously there's sin in your life, Job. You better repent of your sin and get, get right with God. I mean, we got 38 chapters of this going on. But that's not how the book of Job ends, does it? No, 
at the end, it said God blessed Job more than he did in the beginning. Where now he has not only sons, but it says the most beautiful girls in the land belong to Job. And everything was restored to him. But what did he go through in the meantime? All those 38 chapters of his best buddies ragging on him. We're told here, make sure you don't grumble one against another. Well, what should I do? Exercise the gift that God has given you to build that other person up. Good place for it, amen? Remember Paul, in closing, this is for real now, in closing, Paul is discipling the Ephesian church. They got their head in the wrong place. They don't understand they need to be discipled. They don't understand that they're just drinking milk right now and they're not full grown. They have to go through not the justification process, that's already happened. They have to go through the discipleship and the sanctification process. What is that gonna entail? A lot of hard times. So what do you do? You endure it patiently. But I don't like enduring things patiently. I want it and I want it now. (laughs) And that's my nature. You know, if I see a train coming and I see it's gonna be a long train and the cars are lining up, you know what I'll do? I'll drive two miles just to get around it. If I would have waited there, I would have got there faster. I just don't like the idea of waiting. I want to move. (laughs) Come on, guys. (laughs) So the purpose of her Paul running to the church of Ephesus is to get them to get their eyes on the real riches and to be involved and let them understand this isn't going to happen overnight. The discipleship is a process and it's one that if you endure endure it all, like it says here, um, if you persevere, uh, the end intended by the Lord that the Lord will be very compassionate and merciful. And with that, uh, we will continue the rest of the the chapter of Ephesians next week. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the book of Ephesians. Thank you for helping us understand a little bit of um, all of us here have been giving gifts. I pray, Lord, we receive the exhortation to use them to build up. No grumbling, no complaining just using that gift to help and um, build up another person in the faith. And uh, we're just uh, grateful, Lord, for um, uh, the gifts that are displayed here at Calvary Chapel of Appleton, Lord. We are one body. Not one of us is better than the other one. And we need each other. And we thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.